Got this seagull that got knocked down. I'm walking real slow, staring at the ground. Hey guys, uh, welcome to Slash Report. This week is extra duper special, even more special than usual, um, because I am joined by MK, who is eating Doritos for breakfast. I just paused <laughs> in my Dorito eating. That doesn't mean you weren't eating them for breakfast. And. And I'm also joined by the Hoyden, who is in my living room in London. In her living room in London. It's all true. It's it's awesome. They were already wearing clothes when I called, so I'm kind of jealous. What? Because, <laughs> like, you clearly have been up and doing stuff. And I was like, oh, I have to put on clothes and, like, oh. get oh, breakfast. No. Okay, no, like, no. you just, like, created, like, a beautiful lesbian fiction here. <laughs> like, almost without... I mean, I'm saying that it's lesbian fiction because we weren't having sex all over my apartment but lesbian <laughs> what is that face what is that face no that no desire okay i can't tell i can't tell either <laughs> this is terrible we have to move on <laughs> no no says the person using her face mask her eye mask as a headband Listen, if I take this off, my hair does this. <laughs> so. Okay. Oh, this is oh. something that, like, none of us can figure out, but is magic and is consistently true with MK. But, like, when she wakes up, she has, like, one shock of bangs that goes straight up. And it's always the exact same one, right? Yeah. It's the exact same one, and it's not like it sticks out or, like, a lot of her bangs stick out. Like, all of them are flat and well-behaved, but there's, like, one shock of hair that's like, no, I'm going for the moon. Guys, it's, like, pure Cindy Lou Who, okay? Like, that is exactly what it's It's pretty like. amazing. Yeah. That hair has ambition. I've been okay. told repeatedly that when I wake up in the morning, I look like a really messed up anime character, so. Well, you accurate. I mean, demon rape gangbang. Like. Oh. Why do we have to go there already? It's there. That's like my area code. I just, I just oh. want you to know that in Toronto, it is not yet 8.30 in the morning. And already we have gone there. <laughs> Again, like, I love how you're pretending that you don't live there. Like, it's not really like we had to go anywhere. Okay, fine. I, <laughs> I can see defeat. I was, like, internet stalking people before we recorded. I had already been reading yeah. some fan fiction and sent some stuff to my Kindle. And yeah, I'm eating are. Doritos. In, by the yeah. way, a semi-see-through shirt with, like, the curtains drawn open. you got to stop. This is, like, making me hot and bothered, my love. It nice. Is, it's making me wish I could touch myself in an inappropriate manner without pointing here to watch. Mm, okay. <laughs> I could. I don't think she's... This lesbian <laughs> fiction is spiraling out of control. Oh, God. Let's let's move on to the topics for this week, because I can't handle uh, this. So what, what are our topics for this week? Weirdly, don't involve lesbians at all, but we do start off with NCIS. Oh, my God. Okay, so I did not watch whatever 06, whatever season they're on, the sixth episode, but I did watch... It's the ninth season. It's the ninth, ninth season. season. We figured this out last night. That's a lot of seasons. Okay, so I did not watch 906, but I did watch 905, which... Okay, here's my summary of the episode. Some immigrants are awesome. Some immigrants are terrorists. Tony decides that he needs to find the perfect woman for Gibbs, and in doing so becomes best friends with the lady that he wants to set Gibbs up with because they bond over how Tony has already been on like eight perfect dates with Gibbs and how everything that Tony is looking for in a woman for Gibbs, like Tony is. 
And then Gibbs says, like, I don't need a lady. I have you guys. And then it ends. And then, no, 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 you forgot one really crucial, important part, which is that Lady Gibbs totally bends Tony over, and he's just, like, goes for it like a champ. Like yes. That. It's, like, recurring theme is that randomly people are bending Tony over desks. It's not just that, but, okay, so she bends him over and is, like, copping a feel, and Vance, director Vance finds them and is like, you need to stop whatever you're doing. Like, literally, I think that's what he says. Yeah, and he's like, I don't actually want to know what it is, but you need to stop it. Yeah, and then, like, ten minutes later, Abby's like, Tony, take off your pants. And he's like, fine, and just takes off his pants in the middle of the office. Like, hands them over. And, like, Gibbs is, like, sitting across from them being like, I don't want to fucking know what's happening. Just put your pants back on. Yeah. Just give Abby your fucking pants. The the, the noise that, that... Prue and I both made when Abby savagely cuts up Tony's pants was frankly embarrassing. We we're like, not the pants! Not the pants! Um, it was shameful. Totally shameful. Listen. And totally ruined the fall of the fabric over his butt. Uh, yeah, those pants were tailored. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Tony right. wants to display that action. <laughs> Thank you for that particular word. You're welcome. I will say Lady Gibbs is, like, endlessly entertaining to me. I love her. I want her, like, I kept saying, right, throughout the episode, I was like, I want her to stay. I want her to stay, and I want them to just be bros forever. Bros forever. Oh, she's a great bro. Like, she's like, oh, you want to find a woman for Gibbs? I'm on it. Here, let me give you a fucking list of people who might, you know, possibly be okay for Gibbs. I I love how she, like, plays with them. Yeah. Yeah. Along with them, it's awesome. It's so it's, awesome. I totally. It's why she should stay. She yes. has to stay. Yeah. I think like whenever she shows up, she's always like, "Oh, these kids again." And at first, she's like, "Fuck, Tony! Like, stop with your bull." And then, like five minutes later, she's like, "Love it, bending him over a desk. Let's do this." Hopelessly charmed by it, right? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. If you could bend Tony over a desk, wouldn't you? It would seem wasteful, right? Right? Yeah. And, like, I couldn't give him what he needed, which is to be a surly, angry, 20 years older than him Marine. And beat him with soap. No, why do you... Why do... (laughs) That's kind of what happened this week. He kind of got beaten with soap. Oh, my God, you're right. Yeah. He did sort of in with soap this episode, didn't he? He did. Yeah. That was, like, splash, though. Yeah, but Tony's, you know, delicate. Oh, my God, they just made it canon. Oh, why would they do that to us? I think they read my blog. They read your blog. And now, so basically Shane Brennan is like reading M. Klutz's blog being like, hey, you know all that shit she complains about? That sounds like a great idea. We should totally do that. We should totally beat Michael Weatherly with soap. Shane Brennan, I just want you to know. God, if you're listening to this podcast. If you're listening stop. to this, please. Yeah, don't, when he first got splashed with the glycerin i first was like it's poison totally poison and the thing is in ncs like he's already had plague like it could have conceivably been poison like, yeah it could have happened it could have oh, been like, just yeah. a different kind of plague but okay shane brennan yeah, one yeah. stop listening to this stop reading my blog but two michael weatherly deserves better he needs to be treated like a delicate flower okay he has a lot of feelings and he came from a bad situation of millionaires and he just he needs your support and love <laughs> I were, Prue and I were talking about how there's like three, I don't know, four seasons of Trek between the the last good part of season four and and now, and that is that's a lot of terribleness. First of all, but second of all, I feel totally okay with not having seen large large portions of all of that because Michael Weatherly told me I shouldn't, and I'm all right with that. Like if he tells me it's shit, I'm like okay, Michael Weatherly, I believe you. 
let's let's move on to the beautifulness of season nine. Yeah, Michael Weatherly is like the biggest NCIS fan. He knows. He's like, you know what? That was three and a half, four seasons of shit. But you know what? We're good again. There's more flirting. Come back. And we're all like this season, guys. So I good. think that we've gotten far enough into this season that I think we can call it good. Why would you say that? What? What do you mean? You just jinxed it. Uh, it. We're already in six episodes. We've only had two mediocre episodes out of six. And they weren't even bad. They were mediocre. So, listen. This is like, it could be the Merlin effect. We don't know. It could be like, oh, <gasps> this is really, this is really, what the fuck just happened? That's, that's a good point. Okay. I had considered that. But no, no, no. Merlin's just like the opener. So I feel like... But Merlin is 13 episodes, whereas NCS is like 20, 26 or something. Yeah. Okay. How about this? Let's call it... Let, let's treat this like a credit rating. All right? Mm. Let's say that this is currently a B- minus with an outlook for higher. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. That feels safer. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And everyone who is like really, really worried about watching NCIS, because I know there are a lot of you out there who like liked the show in the beginning and then like kept watching until season seven and were like, what the fuck is happening to my face? And like gave up just the way that I did because I'm a quitter and who are like approaching season nine with like extreme trepidation. Like, do I want to do this? Like this relationship went so bad before. You can watch the first five episodes without fear. And the sixth episode, which you haven't seen yet, is interesting. It's interesting. Okay. It's super adorable on the yeah. front half. Like, <laughs> super, super adorable. Yes. Um, yes. And then... Kind of suffers from a back half where clearly a plot that should have been stretched out for, like, what? A couple of different... A couple of different, different episodes. episodes. gets, like, weirdly compressed in the last half. But if you could just have the first half, that would be A+. plus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so can I say, I was having a discussion after last week uh, with Leanne about NCIS, because she was like, by the way, I've been listening, and what the fuck, like, NCIS, I don't get it. Um, And she was like, I can't, she was like, I can't watch that show, because it has that fake goth nerd on it. Um, And I understand where she's coming from, so I just want to explain Abby a little bit to people, because people... the actress for Abby actually a goth nerd in reality? Like, that's her... Yes. That's her... That's, like, that wasn't necessarily... (laughs) into her character that's like always just been her yeah but to give them the background the first time that i saw ncis i walked into my mom's bedroom at like midnight and she was watching it on tv and i like opened the door to her room and i literally said oh my god what are you doing it was like i had caught her (laughs) in like the most terrible situation i was like no and then i closed the door and i walked it like that's all i did i closed the door and i walked away because i was like that is not right. Uh, because I was like, who is that fake goth nerd? Like, everything about this looks terrible. I don't like the military. Whatever. And then I got sick, as I do. And the only thing I could do was mainline two seasons of NCIS while I was ill. As you do. <laughs> and Oh my god, did we all have, like, plague origins with NCIS? Because I also started watching it when I was, like, sick and feverish. And I think it <laughs> pushed it on me. So. I'm really mean. I, like, pick when people are the weak gazelle. And take them down. So uh, I'm pretty sure I was just, like, feverish for days and, like, watching NCIS in a blur. It was really great. No, I went into it eyes open. I have a Mark Harmon thing. It's not only that, out. but Hoyden, it's not only that. Before I knew Prue, and when I got into NCIS, I did the thing that I do, where I just left a little comment on her journal. It was like, <laughs> hey, Prue, you know what you might like? NCIS. And here's why. And then... Two weeks later, she made, like, a big post about how gay NCIS was and how she had fallen for it because of Michael Weatherly, a.k.a. Eyes Only, and Mark Harmon, a.k.a. Silver Fox, and was screwed. And I was like, we're not friends yet, but we're going to be, and it's beautiful. (laughs) Hey, we have to have a discussion. (laughs) 
because before you say stuff like that, it makes me think that, like, this friendship quote that we're in, she's <laughs> long gone for one day wanting to wear my skin as a coat. Like, that's creepy. You no. need to work on this. <laughs> Here's what, here's what it was. You were writing the the SGA fic, and you were writing some other stuff, and I was like, mm. But you know what she should really write, because there's no good fic in NCIS. NCIS. I was like, who do I know who's a good writer? And would be weak to this, Prue. It's just so not fair. You can't give me a show with, like, eyes only, and fucking CJ Craig's beautiful Secret Service agent, who was only on that show for, like, five episodes, and then dies tragically. And then dies tragically in the most... Stupid, meaningless oh. accident, not even an accident, stupid, meaningless, petty crime of all time, and not expect me to crumble yes. like a shoddily constructed house of cards. Terrible. So I essentially, Hoyden and I fell into this because of illness, but Prue fell into this because I dube her into it before we were friends. Anyways, so the point like is... Dude, like, before we were friends is, like, the perfect gal relationship. <laughs> like, oh my god. Does this mean you're my son, eh? <laughs> I hope yes. not. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't want to be your semi. I think we've established I would be bad at that. <laughs> I feel like we end this line of discussion because there's nowhere else it can go. Okay, so the point is, I was sick. I watched a bunch of NCIS and I was like, this show is really good. And suddenly, I really like that goth nerd character who I thought that I would just like hate, want to burn in a fire or whatever. And the reason is this. The girl who plays Abby Shuto, pretty much anything they tell you about her character is true. Yeah, she did spend all of her time, like, climbing through trashed cars from car accidents, working out the physics of how that had happened so that she could solve crimes. And yeah, she is kind of a goth, and she does have a lot of tattoos. And sure, on Halloween, sometimes she dresses up like Marilyn Monroe and does an awesome job at it. The only reason that people look at that show and are like, holy shit, kill her with fire, is because the costume department is terrible. Mm, it's true. Yeah. They, like, dress her up as, like, like a Hot Topic goth, which is, as well, everyone... Okay. like, to be fair, like, I don't know the difference between different types of goth. I, I felt like I was born into a gap. So, like, I don't... <laughs> I think for a lot of people, this is not going to be an issue. <laughs> but yeah, for a lot for, of nerds, like, it is. Stream TV, which this definitely is mainstream TV, like, nobody who's watching that is going to know either, so... Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, in fandom, people are, like... Right. And so fandom people i'm just telling you it's the costume department everything else is amazing just go with it give it a shot yeah. watch like six episodes even of the first season because the first season is brilliant and uh so good. you will love abby shuto and tony abby you will love tony one. so much well like, here's the other thing that like <laughs> this sort of brings up you mentioned um the actress who plays abby shuto like actually does have a background in forensics and actually is this person. Like, this show is essentially, see if you guys agree with me, this show basically, like, casts the perfect cast and then, like, stops trying to write <coughs> independent character editions. They just started like, stealing everybody's lives. Now, I don't know if that's completely um, accurate for um, the actress who plays Ziva, but I know for a fact that Mark Harmon is basically sort of the guiding light granddaddy of that show. Yeah. He's a lot nicer than Gibbs, but, like, in like Mark Harmon once rescued a person out of a burning car with a hatchet. He rescued kids out of a burning car in a hatchet. But, like, who does that? Who does that? Mark Harmon Mark does that. Not just that. So, some fan sent Mark Harmon um, a cast photo that she had bought online that a bunch of the cast had signed, but it didn't have his signature. And she was like, hi, I'm a huge fan. If you could sign this and then send it back to me, like I've included an envelope and everything that's like stamped, I would love you forever. And she didn't get the photo back. She got a letter that said, hi, please wait. This photo is a forgery. Like those, those signatures are not real. 
weights, okay, it had like Michael Weatherly and someone else's signature on it, supposedly. And then two weeks later gets like a package from Mark Harmon of like actual stuff signed by the cast, like way better photos, like awesome stuff and like a letter from everyone being like, we're really sorry that happened to you. We hope this helps. Like, love Mark Harmon. I am the greatest ever. He's oh, yeah, Mark is basically oh. just like endlessly, painfully dreamy. And not even whatever the fuck they do to his hair can make him unattractive to me. No, like, it's not. He's, on my list. he's like on my short list of like, if I saw him in the street, I would just beg to like give him a blowjob in an alley. Like very short list of five people, right? Um, he like lives in rarefied territory with like James McAvoy and a couple of other people I'm too embarrassed to just close on this podcast even. Um, Wait, here's the thing about Mark Harmon's haircut. The people who the people who were writing the show were like, yeah, he's going to be a Marine. He's going to do this. Like, we're totally casting Mark Harmon. They're like, Mark Harmon, do you want the job? He was like, yes. Goes home that night, cuts his own hair with, like, a knife and scissors. <laughs> Comes in the next day, they're like, what the fuck did you do? And he's like, I'm in character. It's amazing. They were like, oh, God. It's like, and randomly, like, in the middle seasons, you can see that, like, the, co- the costume and makeup department were like, Mark, don't do it. Mark, don't do it. But season nine, he's back. Yeah. He's back to his, like, Super trash. his, like, kitchen scissors haircut. You can really tell. It was like, I was watching episodes five and six last night, and I was like, God damn it. Mark what? Harmon's wife, do something about this. No, this is the best part. They wrote it into an episode. Remember when Gibbs about gets amnesia, and he wakes up yeah. in the hospital with amnesia of, like, ten years, and, like, gives himself a kitchen scissors haircut, and everyone comes in, they're like, oh, he's yeah, back to normal. Yeah, he did have uh, that... That thing. That was like there was like I had a lot of anger during those seasons. I think and everyone. It was all hair related. No, but also like <laughs> Michael Weatherly is essentially Anthony Dinozo. His entire like batshit family of like richness and dysfunction is just Michael Weatherly's batshit family of richness and dysfunction. If you ever hear him talk about his family, it's insane. Like you can't actually keep track of that family tree. Because both of his parents have been like married and divorced like three or four times. He has like seventeen different billion sets of stepchildren, like step siblings and whatever. And um, didn't his family import Swiss Army knives or something bad shit like that? And yes. That's why like they're just fuck. It's not just that when he decided to go into acting, they disinherited him just like Tony. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is magic. And he had it's to like make his great. own way in the world by being eyes only on Dark Angel and being so beautiful. So beautiful. I loved him so much. He's Paul? the only reason I watched that show for so long. Sidetrack. Though we're probably keeping this in. So enjoy this, listeners. Um, recently, we have discovered that Kimi Wapeto, one of my favorite manga of all time, is becoming a Korean movie. And I have a rule. And one of my J-dramas of all time. Oh my well. god, yeah. It was an adorable J-drama. But I have a rule that I will watch some J-dramas, but I refuse to watch K-dramas because everybody dies of cancer. I am very careful about what J-dramas I watch. Usually it's only, have I read the manga first? Did I love the manga? I will watch the drama. I watched Goku-sen. I watched Kimi wa Peto. I basically will watch anything with What's-Her-Face Nakama Yukie in it. I watched Trick, which was hilarious and full of I murder. I apparently just watch, like, garbage that my father brought home. Kimi wa Peto. I'm going yeah. to break my K-drama rule, and I am going to watch the Korean drama because it is the cutest manga of all time, and... If you guys have never seen, uh, like, a Japanese drama before, or never read a manga, but you want something that's, like, really cute het with some dupecon overtones, I can't even call it overtones, this woman has a terrible day, assaults her boss for justice, gets demoted, finds a boy who has been abused in, like, a box, he's, like, 19 or 20 or 22, it doesn't matter, he's of age, and, uh, takes him home and keeps him as a dog, and then they fall in love. You should watch it. (laughs) 
I don't really know if you might have sold that quite the way you wanted it to. Okay. It doesn't matter. They just have to trust that it will be good. And uh, all three of us love it. Yeah, but MK, like, that started off strong. And then, yeah, that started off, I, I think, I think, I think the Hoyden should talk now. Because, <laughs> no, no, I don't think I should. Because then I will have to confess to you that I haven't actually read it. I've never, I've <gasps> never read it. it. I've never read it. Okay, wait, I can re-explain this better. Okay. Give me a chance. Are you going to really... I'm going mean, to do I it. I have to tell you that based on your description, like, probably I would read it, so <laughs> I'm not your target audience. Like, okay, how about both of you shut up and I'll deal with this. You okay. Do that means are like, Dukon, yes. Oh, for fuck's sake. boy, yes. Hot moon clubs. Oh. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Prue. All right, since both of you are fucking tragedies in motion. Um... <laughs> Kimi wa Pento is actually one of my favorite manga J-drama series of all time. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a thing that you're going to start sensing. Like, when we talk about the pervasive sexism of Japanese culture, that's something that permeates everything. So it's, like, in the manga, it's going to be in movies, it's going to be in television. It's all over the place. Um, and part of the reason that Kimi wa Pento, like, was so attracted to me from the get-go, because I didn't actually read the manga before I saw the drama. Like, I saw the drama first. And it was because um, the actress in it is this, like, gorgeous statuesque woman who was also in The Last Samurai. Uh, I think she was. I'm pretty yeah, sure she was. she was. And that's how, like, that's how I knew the actress. She and was I the got female lead. Yeah. I got interested in her work. And so I looked her up, and she was in the series. It sounded amazing. And what it is, is Kimi Wapeto is about this woman who is extremely, extremely competent. So she works in, I don't remember what the newspaper's name is, but they like basically fake like the largest newspaper in Japan. And she works specifically on the government and politics desk on like a super, super like fancy, flashy, like everybody wants to be like Woodward Bernstein beat. Don't forget, she She has degrees from Todai and from Harvard. So Tokyo University and Harvard, like Tokyo University, impossible to get into. You're going to be rolling in it for the rest of your life if you get in. And Harvard impossible to get into you might not be rolling in it if you get into it for the rest of your life but you are if you're in japan but like, you are if you're in japan. Japan. yeah like it's, it's all over you are if you're in japan yeah so she's like extremely smart incredibly accomplished speaks like a ton of languages and is generally the envy of everyone who works in her department and the object of resentment from her male peers like the rest of the women who she works with are all like office girls you know or like have sort of fluff jobs and the rest of the sections of the newspaper and like no one can really compare and people like don't know how to deal with her because she's a she's super tall for a woman in japan as well like that's like another element of her character is that she's really beautiful she's incredibly tall and she's like so accomplished that she goes toe-to-toe with her male colleagues but she has um, no this, friends she's like she has one no friend of course she has no friends like why why would you have friends if you're an accomplished female um so the deal is that the story starts when her boss and her get into it, and she tells him like it is. She tells it like it is. Uh, he gropes her ass. But I mean, uh, I shouldn't say what I was going to say because that's terrible. But she it's kind of like it's it's like it's workplace sexual harassment that like I'm sure a lot of us have dealt with before. Um, but she like flips out on him, justifiably so, and uh, he basically shit cans her like, demotes her all the way down, like, busts her down the rung. She, like, gets dropped from, like, state and national government, like, past metro politics, like, past the weather, past city government, and she gets all the way dropped into, like, lifestyle and features, which is 
the fluff desk, right? Like that's where all the girls work. That's where all like the emotionally fragile boys work. Like they cover garbage and like cooking and stuff like that. And she hates it. Like I love those things. But, like she hates it. Like it's basically the blackest mark in her professional career to have gotten here. Um, and the first episode of the drama where she's in the bear suit Oh, is, God. like, the most crystallized image of, like, professional misery that I've ever seen in my entire life, guys. So, like, if you're a lady and you've ever hated your job, you should check this out because it's fucking hilarious. And, like, on her way home from that horrible day, she finds a kid who's been beaten up and is, like, asleep, passed out in a giant banana box, like, in front of her apartment. And she thinks that she should, like, call the cops or, like, something, but something about, like, the very, very vulnerable and fragile way that he looks, like, curled up in the box. It's raining. And she's like, oh, maybe I'll call them later. So she drags the box inside, cleans him up, and tucks him up on her couch and lets him sleep, assuming that he's going to, like, sneak out of her apartment the next morning. It's not even that. She leaves him a note that says, like, I've taken care of your wounds. Please rest until you feel better. But leave in the morning, the door will lock behind you on the way out. Yes. And instead of leaving, he stays. And then when she comes home, she's like, what the fuck are you still doing here? And he has basically decided that he wants to stay. Because she makes good food and everything smells nice. And it's a nice apartment. Yeah, and she's awesome. And, like, I think the reason she's like, well, I can't let you stay here. That's wrong. Like, the only way I'd let you stay is, I don't know, if you were my pet. She does that to scare him off. Yeah, and then he's like, done. Woof. And there's this, there's this very, very famous scene in the story that echoes in the manga, in the J-drama, and it's going to be in the Korean movie, where she, like, does her thing where she's like, give me your hand, like, the dog, the typical dog trick, like, shake. And he curls up his hand like a paw and places it in hers, and, like, it basically just, it's the sweetest thing I've ever seen. But it's a great story. He has, like, a secret life that she doesn't know about while she's at work. He's actually... A famous interpretive dancer. Yes. Um, which she does not care about because she likes watching wrestling. She's like, fuck dance. And he's like, I am a famous dancer and I will never tell her. And like goes out and does his practice all day and has like drama with his friends. But he falls in love with her. Uh, and meanwhile, she has named him after her dog that she had as a child who like was hit by a car and died. Yeah. She li- she names him Peach. Yeah. She Momo. Names him, essentially, she names her pet boy Peaches. And she like washes his hair for him and like cooks him dinner, and he rubs her feet while they watch wrestling. Like, he's her best friend, and she's his best friend. And it's wonderful. And she inverts, like, so many stereotypes, right? Like, not just in Japanese society, but, like, in terms of in general female expectation, she inverts so many expectations. So many. Though I will say, she she eventually runs into her her, uh, senpai, her ex-crush, who is, like, a year ahead of her in school, and who is, like, perfect at everything and super handsome and taller than her, which is, like, super rare in Japan. And she's always been in love with him. And then he left for a different country to, like, work there. But they run into each other again, and they start dating. And the boy becomes extremely jealous. Like, furiously jealous. And will so she'll be, like, outside of her apartment, uh, like, making out with her longtime love in the hallway. And he will start making, like, angry dog sounds from inside the apartment. And be like, Arr! And she'll be like, oh my god, my dog, I'm so sorry. You can't come in. He hates men. <laughs> like, it's so good. Oh, it's really amazing. You guys should definitely try it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, NCIS. Oh, and oh. no, 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 one last thing. 
And for those of you who are into K-drama, not into J-drama, and may actually know this, the guy who is playing the pet in the Korean movie version of this is also the lead male in You're Beautiful, a.k.a. the stupidest, stupidest Korean drama that was ever popular in the history of time. Um, So guys, I'm behind on Hawaii Five-0. Because, let's face it, I watched an episode in which Steve McGarrett parachuted out of a plane in order to save someone mid-air. Uh, and I was like, that's ridiculous. I think I need to take a break from this crazy train. Uh, but I went back to it because, obviously, the episode that I needed to see was the one that resolved Kono's, like, clearly she's undercover working for internal affairs, but everyone thinks that she's corrupt. It was, like, like the worst writing ever, but I had to see how it would re- be resolved. Also, I enjoyed that Kono's, like, being corrupt just involved her acting out a goth 15-year-old kid. Like, being a little bit thug. Hanging out with the wrong guys and, like, wearing some dark-colored clothing. Yeah, it was beautiful. She's like, yeah, I went surfing for 12 hours and I didn't tell you where I went. What? Shut up! Leave me alone! Yeah. Uh, So what makes it beautiful isn't the Kono storyline, which, like, thank God that we got that out of the way because everyone knew where that was going. Can you tell me where that was like, tell me how it wrapped up, because um, I had broken up hard with Y50, and I refused to go back, but, you know, like, an ex, I just kind of want to know via Facebook, like, what's happening, sort of. <laughs> okay, so essentially... Uh, but you're just supposed to make sure she's winning the breakup. Yes, I need to win this. You will always win the breakup, Hoyden, but Y50 <laughs> is still very entertaining. So what happens is, Chin doesn't tell anybody that Kono is acting like an angry teen. He's like, oh, she's clearly, like, going bad, but I can't tell anyone because I need to know how serious it is first. At which point, Hawaii Five-0 is investigating something, and uh, an assassin shows up to, like, kill this witness that they are, they're waiting in her hotel room to, for her to come back so that they can be like, listen, we know what's going on, we have to take care of this. As they are waiting, an assassin who is also trying to track down the same witness shows up. And they are, like, chasing this guy. They shoot him in the gut. So he's bleeding profusely, but he manages to get into a car where his getaway driver is waiting. And his getaway driver is Kono. And Kono drives away. He dies in the car with her. And she's, like, freaking out. At which point, the, uh, like, evil criminal that she's clearly working for internal Stephen affairs. Baldwin! Evil criminal is Stephen Baldwin, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, he looks a lot like the guy from 30 Rock. And I was like, I know this is just me not recognizing famous people. <laughs> but I couldn't tell. Okay, so it's Stephen Baldwin. So Stephen Baldwin is evil. And Kono is undercover working for him, trying to, like, catch him out in his criminal acts. And he tells her, you better fucking throw that body off a bridge and then get back here. At which point, 5 catches Kono and brings her in, and Steve is furious, and he's like, you were helping an assassin, you were doing all these terrible things. And then Internal Affairs busts in, and they're like, you can't have her, she's working for me, and she needs to go back in right now. She needs to, like, go back to Stephen What's-His-Face's place and continue her undercover shit, because I need to catch that guy. And they're all like, it's not safe. You're not treating Kono well. A bitch fight ensues. Steve is like, Steve and Chin are like, you need to treat Kono like the prettiest princess. And Kono's like, fuck you. I'm going to go murderate some people. Um, <laughs> Kono goes undercover like a badass without like any safety precautions. Saves the day. Gets shot in the arm. And uh, after they've like resolved and caught the Baldwin brother, Steve punches the IA guy in the face and is like, don't ever fucking treat my team like that again. And then they all walk away like a happy family. But but here's the thing. There are two elements of this that you're skipping that make this particularly stupid. Number one, if they had just done this plot and let us know that Kono was undercover or like 
didn't pretend that it was a mystery that Kona was undercover, that would have been one thing. Because then the tension would have been the H5O people don't know what Kona is doing. But then us watching the show can be like, this is dumb. Like, stop trying to fake us out. Just like yeah. fake out the characters on the show. That would have been better. And number two, the end where they leave is not just they leave as a happy family. They swag off in like slow motion with the sun setting behind them. It's beautiful. I was like, are you fucking serious, H5O? Did you really think that that, like, garbage heap of an arc deserved, like, the walking, like, cool guys don't look at explosions walk away? Like, is that really what you thought this earned? Because I disagree. Of course you disagree. You are winning the breakup. But that's not what's important in this episode. You're like, yeah, of course Kono resolves her IA thing and comes back to 5 Like, we knew that from the first episode. It's really obvious. Most important is uh, it's similar to NCIS in that this week they spend like the first half of the episode basically proving to us that, okay, so for one thing, Danny says that he's going to be homeless soon because they're tearing down his shithole apartment to build luxury condos. And he's like, like, fucking luxury condos, blah, blah, blah. And you can just see Steve's face being like, you should move in with me. You should absolutely move in. You're like, he hasn't said it yet, but that's clearly where this is going. Uh, This is followed by a long discussion in which Danny complains that he doesn't get treated well enough as a police officer. And that what he really wants is a sugar daddy. He's like, I need like a rich man to give me a beautiful home and like make sure I have all of the finest things in life. That's not too much to ask for being like an awesome police officer who gets shot at. And Steve is like, you don't get shot at that much. And Danny's like, are you fucking kidding me? And Steve's like, when's the last time you got like, grazed? Yeah, like they've like basically two minutes from now, they're gonna be shot at. And Steve's like, when was the last time you got grazed, baby? And Danny's like, are you fucking kidding me? So, one, Steve is trying to prove that he treats Danny like a pretty, pretty princess. Danny wants to be treated like a pretty, pretty princess. And Steve basically has the means to do it, but thinks that he already is. So you're like, this is the most beautiful, like, first half of an episode ever, in which, like, it's so gay, and they're basically married, and that should just happen. And then in the second half of the episode, for some... Oh yeah, no, the episode was terrible, but it gets more terrible in the second half, you have to agree with me, when Chin and What's-Her-Face are alone in the hotel room. Okay, so Chin and, like, Lady Steve, who we've complained is, like, way too young for the role, would be awesome, except that... Like, they just do it wrong. And unfortunately, this week, they decided to pull out the crush card, right? Yeah. So basically, she's trying to... She acts like Steve, inquiring about feelings, but to Chin, trying to suss out whether or not Steve is seeing anybody. Would he be interested? Whatever. And it's it's like hearing five-year-olds talk about having a crush. Like, that's how bad the dialogue is. And Chin just gives her, like, this death look. Like, you better shut the fuck up. And she says... Let's pretend that never happened. Are we cool? Yeah, we're cool, right? And he's like, just continues the death look, at which point the assassin bursts in. Like, like that was, I was like, I'm really glad the assassin just came in, because... He saved that moment. I felt really yeah, badly. I don't think he's saving that, but at least he killed the dead. Yeah. But, like, I felt badly for Daniel Day Kim, because you could tell that Chin's feelings were also Daniel Day Kim's feelings in that scene. Lots and lots of anger. Yeah, just, I just, first of all, like, Hawaii Five-0 is a cast that doesn't need to get bigger. It does not need to get bigger than it already is. So I don't know why they brought her in. And the thing is that when they brought her in, they immediately positioned her as a romantic interest, eventually, for Steve. 
And if they haven't, then why did they cast this person? You know, like she's 12, like she's way too young to be like an experience, like all of the stuff that she's supposed to have on her resume. She's way too young for that. I think like my primary issue, I mean, like to be fair, like I don't really have a primary issue with her because I don't really give a crap about the show. And just like from from like a disinterested observer point of view, like if you want to bring an if you want to bring a character onto the series, right? Like bring them onto the series for a larger narrative purpose than just to be the romantic like the romantic object of desire for your male lead. Eventually, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm generally unimpressed, and it really does. It's like the Bones syndrome all over again. Like that lady reporter that they cast as his girlfriend for that season. And then this girl are both like way too, I'm referring to them as girls. Like they're way too young. They look identical too. Like they could even, I know they're not, but to me, they could be the same actress. Total, blandly attractive blonde central casting. Yeah. Yeah. But suffice to say, Danny and Steve are super gay, super married, and I expect Vic and Medium all. This episode was like six weeks ago, wasn't it? Yep. I haven't gone and had the strength to look yet, but I expect that when I go look, there will be good stuff. You guys should write some stories wherein um, Steve is a shapeshifter furry because then M. Klutz will be purely joyful. Hoyden and I have already read that and loved it. We did. We loved it a lot. I suddenly feel this like lacerating pain in my chest. I'm pretty sure my body is trying to kill me to protect me from the rest of this podcast. Well, we're only an hour in and that's with stuff we have to cut. So you're here for at least a while longer. God damn it. All right, we're skipping ahead to something that's palatable. The article. Yes. We linked to it on Twitter, actually. So. We did. This week at work, Prue and I were both having middling to terrible days. And I was furious with jealousy because Hoyden was either on her way to or already in England. My pain was epic. Anyways, <laughs> at this point, <laughs> Prue sends me two links. She just pastes them into the chat window and says, when you get back from your meeting, click on this. And, uh, P.S., Martin Freeman is a cock tease, and I hate him with the fire of, like, a thousand suns. And I click on it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, these are some interesting pictures from the set, and, uh, this is an interesting article, and holy shit, did they just spend four paragraphs basically talking about how gay and married Sherlock and John are, and how gay and married they're gonna continue to be in the next series? Yes, yes, they did. The word marriage was actually used. By Martin Freeman, who is a troll. You're a troll, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman's too good for us. He doesn't listen to this podcast. He's too busy buying interesting scarves. He's a troll. He just is fucking with the internet. You know who doesn't fuck with the internet? The only person in that entire show that's involved with it that does not fuck with the internet. Benedict Cumberbatch. Thank you, Benedict Cumberbatch, for being too good for this shit. But everyone else, Martin Freeman, Mark Gatiss, Moffat, you... The three of them probably have lunch together and are like, guys, this week. What are we going to do this week? It's going to be awesome. Assholes. So good for me and yet so bad for me. Like, I desperately want more Sherlock now. I just want to see them being married. I just want to see them running down the street handcuffed together. Oh my god, I'm so excited for that. I want more Mycroft. I want all of the Mycroft. I need more Mycroft Lestrade. I know. I led you down that dark path. I'm not sorry. Are you seriously going to use the podcast to make a desperate appeal for this? Yes. No. uh... (laughs) For justice. Justice and puts. No, uh, what I'm going to use it for is to record forever that you need to write Girl Lestrade. God damn it. Both of you. Just I abstain until there is more Sherlock. I cannot, yeah. You know what Joe does? M. Klutz. She refuses. She refuses. So refusal and abstention here. 
Yeah, she'll yeah. refuse. But mine's conditional. You it know what happened? It's really that both of you are conditional, because when the new series comes out, you're going to be weak. You're going to be like, oh my god, Lestrade, you're such a silver fox. And you know what would be even better? Girl silver fox. True, I am weak to that oh. bullshit. Yeah. Man. But for the moment, it is a strong Jerefuse. I'll accept that only because it will be November in like two days. What's happening in November? That is like one month closer to New Sherlock. How did that make sense in your head? Time is really fluid in my brain. I actually have like almost no concept of it. <laughs> it's actually like, there's like medical papers that say like, M. Klutz has almost no concept of time. This is this is also why, like, this is my favorite thing to keep bringing up, because it brings you, like, pure joy every time I tell you this, and then you, like, never remember it. I Like, whenever I tell you that, like, for one of your birthdays coming up, like, probably when you turn, like, 30 or 35, I'm going to rent a tent for a backyard and make the entryway to the tent a TARDIS so that it's bigger on the inside. That's amazing! I've told you this four separate times before, and you were, like, always surprised and thrilled. Every single time I tell you. This face she's making is the exact same face of the Disney World girl. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's seriously like the face of a small child freaking out because she's going to meet, like, a Disney princess. But here's the best thing, guys. Like, this is on tape now. It doesn't matter because she's not going to listen to this for a while. And then, like, like three months from now, I'm going to tell her again, and it will be just as thrilling. It will. Yeah. So many mental issues. Guys, when we say that I need a guide, what we really mean is that I need a caretaker. I need, like, personal <laughs> living assistance. So helpless. Oh my god, you're like Monk. Except not good at solving crime. I would be awesome at solving crime. I smelled that celery. I smelled it hard. What? Were you oh, not there for that? Oh, I, I thought you were, like at work talking to each other and she was like I've got <laughs> it was just like I um I got these papers and they smell like celery and I was like I I think you could solve crime I think you could solve a lot of crime like how did you go from this paper smells like celery to she could fucking solve crime like you're gonna have to explain the fucking missing steps in the middle there <laughs> It's basically my sentinel powers, because nobody else could smell the celery. But to me, it's like I open this envelope, and the room filled with, like, 800 people chopping fresh celery. She's a sentinel. She needs to solve crime. And that's... And to the end, to the end, obviously I need to come to Toronto, because you clearly, clearly desperately need a guide. Clearly. I can't take care of myself. <laughs> you need a guide. We both already have spirit animals, I'm sure. Like, this could totally work. Totally the work. face that Prue is making right now, she had to go off camera because her face got too hilarious and she started to laugh. Prue, uh, Hoyden and I have very strong feelings about the Sentinel and uh, Sentinel AUs and how magical they are. They're so magical. Why are there not more? Because God loves me. No, no. no. Like, really? Like, I'm close. Are there not, you know... No, I think it's every time that, like, a Sentinel AU comes up, we're like, yes, don't suck, don't suck. And then a lot of times they, they really, really suck. But yeah. I live in hope. Lots of hope. I would say that, like, 85% of the time they suck. And the other, I can't count. So whatever the remaining percentage is. 15. 15, thank you. The other 15% of the time, I'm like, yes, excellent, possessive Sentinel AU. It's everything we want. That thing we hate. Yeah. <laughs> this just makes me... I was trying to... Okay, so I was explaining to Hoyden that you and I, if we ever decided to pull the nuclear option <laughs> of playing, like, the most terrible, cruel pranks on each other of all time, 
we, we would take down. So basically, MK and I have frequently said that if we decided we wanted to do this or like if this terrible prank one of them should start it, it would essentially take fandom down with us because she and I are both so fully aware of one another's like ultimate weaknesses when it comes to like fake and fandom consumption that like if if MK and I are both looking at our pinboard slash delicious slash bookmarking feeds, whatever, or just looking on the internet, we will zero in on something. I will be able to like look at it and be like, oh, MK is reading that right now. Just because I know your bullshit that well. And I know you yours. do the same thing with me where you're like, you've already read this, haven't you? I saw this at work and I was like, she's reading it and she's regretting it right now. Right now. MK has no regrets. Uh, no, she does. Like, it depends on what she's reading. But there's, like, a lot of regret sometimes. <laughs> like, there's, there, we have, like, a lot of conversations that start with, I'm going to try this. And, like, three minutes later, it's like, I'm failing now! Abort! Abortation! Abort! Uh, I, like, on the other hand, generally, when I start reading something terrible, I'm just like, nope, keep going. I'm going to truck through this because I don't care if it's bad. I want a baby at the end. Like, I will just keep going for the baby, even if it's shitty. Anyway, so we've always said that if I really wanted to be ultra cruel, I could just start making sock accounts and tagging random shit on the internet with, like, certain things that MK would be helplessly drawn to. So I could say something like, Sentinel Shifter AU, Ultra Possessive, Slight DubeCon, Pining, insert any fandom that MK is in, and she would, like, read the shit out of that. And she would, like, she'd be like, oh my god! And she would send it to her Kindle. And, like, my ultimate dream is that, like, the link on the other end just leads links to like a, like an angel fire gif page of like furries dancing to, like the hamster dance music. <laughs> the worst one would still like even knowing that this is a possibility. But the other, like, I could totally do that to you as well. And this is why we cannot do it, because it would be the endless chain of the nuclear option. Yeah. Like, just us, like, nuking yeah. the like, shit out of each other. Sure, destruction. We cannot do totally it. Totally mutually assured. I would be like, I think the fake premise that I came up with for Prue was something like super domestic they have to get married and move into each other for like it's like an like a fake arranged marriage you know like it's undercover yeah. marriage or something but once they actually are like in the house together it becomes ultra domestic and like let's say in this case it's Lestrade Lestrade is like cooking and like making sure everything is beautiful and Mycroft spends all of his money making sure that Lestrade has all of the things he wants and then they like wind up adopting Asian babies together and like adopting a dog <laughs> and if she clicked on it it would actually link to like furry porn <laughs> like it wouldn't even be gifts it would just be furry porn yeah, i was like sitting there and i was like i still click like the dream such a story would be so good it would be worth the hazard uh, <laughs> like super domestic babies yeah that's all Game i want, that's all I want. plus a dog but the problem like at, a plus dog. a corgi right yeah like if it was a corgi oh, it would essentially oh. be over yeah. that's like i might actually scroll down the furry porn page <laughs> looking for the corgi I'd be like, maybe the story at the end of this she said there would be a corgi like the problem with this though right like it's such mutually assured destruction but it's not just that we'd be like torturing each other we would take down everybody with us because these would not be private links no be like out there free on pinboard or something and other people would be like hiding click (laughs) face clawing all of the face clawing (laughs) plus 
you know what, guaranteed that I would be like tagging that as like, read later. This is going to be great. And someone else would be like, MCLUTS just tagged something and it sounds amazing. And then they'd be like, what the shit is this? <laughs> and the same, like, I'm sure that if you tagged something as like, I'm going to read this later, fuck everything, there are corgis and like domestic marriage action, 1,200 people would be like, oh my god, Prue just tagged some kind of Mycroft Lestrade corgi adopting marriage fic with a beautiful house in the countryside and they have a beautiful garden clicking okay here's like the worst part the worst I, like, part is... I still want to read this story i'm like <laughs> here like knowing that there's gonna be like hypothetical furry porn on the other end i was like what are they gonna name their dog <laughs> what like, house will they have no it's so beautiful no here's the thing like the worst part is that for both of you for both of you i would be your first casualty besides the other <laughs> i would be like sensible like you babies yes i want all of this uh, and just taking the hoyden down with us taking her down hard is like the number of times where like one or both of you has been like so so hoyden so I, i'm reading this thing and i think i'm like i already read it i already read it tag extensively just just already read it that's not the worst part the worst part is when me and mk like mk sends me like okay so this is a real story (laughs) so like this actually happened and it was like super beautiful so mk finds this like we're not gonna name the family no we can't but like you can't even describe it i can't even truly describe it to you except to say that like it was so horrible and so like marvelously terrible in such like a magically fantasy based way that like my eyes glazed over from amazement. Like, so basically, MK sent the story around, and she was like, what the ever-loving shit is this? Is this actually happening? This is, like, everything we're afraid of. This is, like, breeding, animal transformation, like, possibly non-con. Like, what is happening? Like, I don't understand. And I was like, and my response was like, oh, my God, dare we read this? This is a fandom that both of us are, like, sort of weak to. Are we, are we, and then the Hoyden writes back, she's like, I already read it. <laughs> it's not good. And, I, and, like, the best part was that you felt the urge to clarify that it wasn't good. Like, it wasn't good. I think MK and I were like, what about the description ever telegraphed that it could be anything other than pure blizzard <laughs> garbage? Like, and have you already read this? Not just, like, read some of it, but, like, read the whole thing. Yeah, she read the whole thing like, in order to determine like that it was started. not good. Yeah. It's not like you started and you failed at it. It was like you started and you were like, well, this is terrible. I'm going to get through the rest of it. I have to make there sure. Wasn't even a baby no, there yet. was no corgi. There was no baby. I can't tell if this is the same thing I'm thinking about, but I'm definitely thinking of another thing where, like, you, like, failed out, like, so hard and, like, MK didn't even get in, like, you know, even a little into the thing. And I was like, I have to get to the end. And I got to the end and I was genuinely disappointed because I was like, if you're going to set up all this terribleness, like, you got to fall through. Like, you got to fall through hard. And they didn't. <laughs> I was, like, more angry, more disappointed than I would have been if it was just terrible. Like, you're so strong. <laughs> you're, like, the strongest ox ever. The greatest thing is, so like, Prue and I spend all of our time training to be stronger in terms of bad fakes so that we can read worse things and be like, oh, I one up to you. Look at what I read. And meanwhile... Hoyden is just off in a corner and she's like, read it, read it, read it all the way through. Yeah, no, I read that. I read all variations of that. Hoyden's clearly like a bad big prodigy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like she she doesn't need to train. She's the strength of the gods when it comes to bad <laughs> I don't know what kind of like bad fake ambrosia she ingested as a baby, but holy crap. 
We cannot yeah, top it. That's like your your like bad fit kung fu is like ultra strong. You are like the bad fit drunken master. Thanks. I don't know how proud is the word, but like you should. If there were a trophy, right, a little bit. Should we make her a trophy? Yeah, I think we should. Next time well, you're in Toronto, no, oh, it'll be a surprise. You and I will arrange it, and the next time all three of you are here, or that we're all in the same city, like for whatever. That's going to happen. I'm going to, like, track down a sporting goods store and make that happen. This can only end in tragedy. It'd be probably a a trophy that gets passed around. Yeah, that's true. Like, tragedy hidden in somebody's suitcase. That's true. Oh, so, guys, how about this? If you want to submit to us your most impressive bad fic endurance story, we would love to hear it. However, Uh, you cannot link to the story. Please don't link to the story. (coughs) And you also can't describe it in a way that would be yeah so this is actually going to be an interesting challenge to see whether or not you can do this because the the goal will be to express how exquisitely painful and difficult and strong like ox you had to be to get through the story without giving away the story or linking to it so we'll see if anyone can do this yeah send your entries send them to slash report at gmail.com or add us on twitter if it's like an ultra short story if your story is like ox fucking kittens Marriage. God. You could probably add that to us on Twitter. No, actually, don't. No, don't do that, in fact. It's a beautiful time. It's a beautiful time. Anyways, in conclusion, Poyden is strong like the ox of the gods. Like, I have no idea how you managed to do that, but that was amazing. I've been training on, like, SPN King Mates for years, and somehow, like, I didn't have the strength to get through that thing, but you, like, championed it. Like, oh my god. I watched Primeval, and I was like, no. I can't handle that. I still still remember, like, one of the earliest wrecks you ever did on this fucking podcast. It's like, it doesn't have that much time travel or dinosaurs. (laughs) And I was like, why would you think that that would make me want to read this anymore? (laughs) There's some really good stuff in Primeval fandom. Yeah, and it doesn't even have that much time travel or dinosaurs. Some of it does not have any time travel in it, but some dinosaurs. Okay, MK, be, be honest with me. Does your attraction to, like, the dinosaurs in Primeval relate to the fact that they're basically, like, cats? The the little ones that Abby has? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Again, internet, I wish you could see my face. Uh, so one thing that sort of surprised me after I mentioned it very offhandedly last week um, that I listen to a bunch of podcasts every week is that some people were really curious to have podcast recs. So as we're getting into the wrecking portion of our podcast this week, I thought, like, why not? Um, so this is not the full list of everything that I listened to, but it's a pretty good, I think it's a pretty good cross section and hopefully it will have everything, something for anyone who's curious. Um, for those of you who don't listen to podcasts already, uh, they're essentially radio shows that are broadcast over the internet. You can subscribe to them through the iTunes store. You can, well, I mean, like if you're listening to our podcast, you were pretty well aware of how podcasts work, but you can listen to them through the iTunes store, like different websites and different programs have podcasts all over I really like them because I actually you know I walk to work in the morning I walk home in the evening like I travel around a lot and podcasts are something that's just like live with me on my iPod and I don't really have to watch them so it's not you know I don't have to pay that much attention I can always just like listen and walk so it's like a radio show I'm a big fan of them um so my first rec is going to be for not just science nerds but generally curious one of my favorite podcasts out there is called Radio Lab. Um, it's very famous. A lot of people have heard about it. It's basically like, it's sort of a science podcast, but I think it's like a podcast that celebrates curiosity. 
So um, they're really, really well produced. They're really interesting. Some recent examples have been about flight. Um, there's There was one about how this guy realized that, like, no one there had ever, you know, like, this guy realized that no, was in eastern Siberia and realized no one had ever heard of tic-tac-toe over there and how some things that seem so pervasive in certain cultures are completely absent in other, other things like that. Um, really fun, good listening. I would say general interest. Almost everybody would enjoy this. Something slightly less intense, like in terms of like it's less long, very light, very fun. And also for the generally curious, one of my very favorite podcasts out there is something called Stuff You Should Know. It's basically these two guys who pick like an interesting topic every week and they sort of run through the discovery. So some of the things they've recently talked about was like, uh, number one, how do snipers work? Um, And then the other week, very fittingly, considering I had to look this up last night, they were talking about how do skyscrapers work? And they've also done things like, um, how does the Bermuda Triangle work? And everything like that. It's, it's, I don't know, they cover like such a wide swath of subjects. It's always something interesting whenever they start talking about it. Uh, another one that I absolutely adore, this is for the hardcore nerds though. Um, it's called, currently it's called the This Is My Next podcast, which is the Everyone interesting that you cared about, formerly from the Engadget podcast, and who will soon be moving over to the Verge podcast when they finally launch their official site with SB Nation. But it's basically like a bunch of tech nerds talking about tech nerd stuff. And this podcast is, if you guys listen to the This Is My Nap next podcast and find like echoes of the way that they do shit with the way that we do shit, it's because I wanted there to be echoes. Like it's very, very like, it's hardcore nerd. But it's also very casual and it's super funny and they'll hit everything from like technology review to like cultural stuff. And it's just, like, it's fun to listen to. It's like sitting in on a hilarious conversation at the next table at the bar. Like I'm a big fan of that action. Um, and my last two recs are both more culture podcasts. The first one is uh, Slate Magazine. A Slate, the online magazine associated with the Washington Post, has um, a culture gap fest that goes weekly. And this is when I reference like there being cultural podcasts that didn't have the type of crazy bitch I was looking for. This is what I was talking about. Like this is a podcast that talks about like lots of stuff, a lot of stuff that you're interested in, like TV, movies, books, culture, and all this stuff. But it's a slightly different tenor. It's a slightly different tone um, than us. Obviously, they're going to be talking about a lot more mainstream stuff. But it's still really interesting. I really like it. They have an interesting perspective. If you are like me, you will occasionally spend some time listening to this podcast, like rolling your eyes at the pretentious douchery. But again, like, what are you going to do? (laughs) Slate Magazine associated with the Washington Post. Like, fuck you. Like, what are you going to do about it? It's the Washington Post. And the last one is fantastic. And I don't think that this is like a traditional podcast. This is not like a format. It was built for a podcast. This is the moth podcast. For those of you who've never heard about the moth, the moth is a storytelling activity. Um, I think it's, it's based in New York, but there are various different moth hubs all over the country. And what happens is that at moth events, you have to buy a ticket to get in because they pack and you, the tickets always sell out like in an hour. Um, and you put your name in a hat when you go to a moth event. If you have a story to tell, you have five minutes and it can't be like, it can't be fiction. It has to be something that actually happened, but you get up in front of a room full of people and you tell your story and the judges vote on who is the best story, basically. They, like, score them. And at the end of a moth season, there's, like, a grand story slam where, like, the best storytellers get invited back to do another round of storytelling. 
and everyone votes again on the story slam. So the Moth podcast is basically like, I think it's weekly and maybe like every every other week or something, but they literally just record stories from these story performances and put them on the internet so you can hear them. And there's some, like, fantastic... But the point is, uh, the Moth Podcast is fantastic. If you like storytelling, if you like oral storytelling tradition, these are, like, hilarious fucking stories. Um, they're all real, from real people. And they're very... I don't know. It makes you feel very close to whoever's telling the story. Definitely recommend it. I think everyone would really enjoy those. So have fun with that. You should also listen to The Splendid Table if you like food. Bye. <laughs> Moving on to the rest of the recs. <laughs> can see all of your tastes emerging in that. So I have three stories this week, <laughs> and hopefully you won't uh, hate me for wrecking these three. Don't worry, it's not by you two. Uh, so the first one is by Miss Molly, etc. And uh, it's NHL slash. I don't know if anyone here has ever read Hockey RPS, and I was like, Hockey RPS. But in high school, one of my friends, who was a huge hockey nerd, was like, listen, you are going to read the following three gay hockey stories. And I was like, fine. And then I really liked them. So occasionally I fall back into NHL slash. And essentially this is a really cute two-part story uh, about Sidney Crosby like screwing up everything and Evgeny Malkin uh, and his other Russian friends like saving the day. It's like two people in love who are just doing everything wrong and they're not in a relationship yet but like everyone else thinks they're in a relationship and they screw it up hard for like I don't know how many words and then at the end the Russians are just like seriously, what's in? <laughs> The Russians uh, basically fix everything. It's really cute. You'll probably like it. Even if you don't know who they are, Just it's two hockey players. One of them's Russian, one of them is not. The next one is a Sherlock story. Did you... I have, uh, I have to, like, interrupt for a second. Is this the one where um, Sydney bets him that he's like, if you make six goals in a game, I'll let you do me? No. <laughs> no? But so you, I put that on the plane on the way here, FYI. So you need no, to send that no, to me. Explicitly what you're talking about. Um. No, this is the one where at the beginning of the story, Evgeny Malkin is like going back to the hotel and finds, like catches Sidney Crosby fucking a girl against a potted plant in the hallway, which is completely out of character. And he's like, you should do that in a hotel room and just like goes into his room and everyone else is like, holy shit, Sidney Crosby cheated on him. And he's like, no, we're friends. I just think he's acting really weird. Wow. It's really well, cute. Good. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the next one is Sherlock's story, which I would call uh, either pre-relationship or Jen. It focuses around Girl John, and Girl John is at a bar with a bunch of friends. Uh, and basically, I, d I can't spoil this for you, but she solves a case by creating a distraction with her breasts. Uh, and then she goes home and tells Sherlock about it. And it's great. Like, it's it's short. It's great. It's hilarious. Yeah. No, this is like me and Peru making thumbs up. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're right both now. like thumbs up all the way. <laughs> Strongly about that. And it's by Mez Miranda. And the last one is by our friend 20-something, and it's called Honey, I Can See the Stars, which is a Marvel Avengers story. <laughs> and, okay, so here's the thing. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but despite the fact that I love Tony and Steve and I want Tony and Steve to just be like married and cute forever... Generally, I have zero interest in reading fic for them, um, and this story changed that for me. It's super cute, it's just like pining and obliviousness, and at the end, it's smoking hot, so you should read it. That's all you need to know. You should also read it, because I contributed only one thing to this story, which was the suggestion that she should include the phrase, wandering hands fee. <laughs> 
Uh, I laughed a lot at that point. I mean, I laughed a lot at a lot of the story, but yeah, I laughed really hard at that. I'm always reliable for the cheapest of the cheap jokes, my friends. I'm good for that. Yeah, basically we all liked this story and you should read it. Boyden? All right. I also have three rooks this week, and because it doesn't look like my fascination with X-Men First Class is going to go away anytime soon, I think uh, it will be zero, zero surprise that all three of them are from that. And uh, even though I swore to both MK and Prue that this, like, list was not at all thematic, I'm like, actually, it kind of is. It's all kind of, like, historical in terrible ways. But so the first thing that I want to wreck is called Replay by Unexpected, wherein Charles, through uh, whatever hand-wavy motions, sends his consciousness back to the past. And he's like, okay, look, this is, this is before the beach divorce. He's like, I am going to fix this shit. Let me tell you how. I'm going to fix it with sex. A lot of sex. If I just, like, give in to Eric, like, at the beginning, like, I can fix all of this. This is a great plan. And it turns out, actually, um... Not only is it A, a great plan, but B, that I think I messaged Prue, like, immediately afterwards, I was like, Prue, I've read this story, and it's great, and Charles, like, goes back into the passage, he's like, and he fixed it with sex, I was like, yes, he fixed it with sex, it was awesome, and then strangely sort of touching, um, somehow, in the end. Yeah, but who cares, because he fixes everything with sex, like, it was, yeah. But no, it really is, has a lot of good feelings. Like, what more compelling reason you have to read a story? But the, the point is, is that not only do you get perspectives from uh, Charles as he's going back in the past to try and fix things, but you also get snippets of like his developing future with uh, Magneto before he fixes all this shit. Yeah. You're like, yep, this is definitely an A plus choice. Charles like would like travel to the past again, like. Good- Good job there. We were just reminiscing about a great moment in the story earlier today. Yes. Where it had become traditional for Magneto to kidnap Charles several times. You know, like, kidnap Charles every year on this one particular date that Magneto views as their anniversary. Yeah. Except for one year where Charles wasn't in the mood to be kidnapped that week. So he moved to a different room, and then Magneto wandered the halls, terrifying the students knocking on their door, asking where Professor Xavier was. And I was like, yes. Yes, in fact. Yes. Super good for us. That's like a fist pump yes moment. That was a slow fist pump, and I'm afraid of both of you. You love us, really. I'm so scared. I I just made an incredibly sexual fist pump at her in the Skype window. She's like overcome with feelings right now. It's very uncomfortable. (laughs) God, I have to cover my eyes. Go on. What's your next story? (laughs) Launched in the Air by Rosie Roos. This is also a sort of vaguely historical fic, and then there's a fusion with the Eagle, but. Not only is it a super good for me in terms of in terms of feelings, but it's also actually like a, a pretty clever in terms of the actual fusion. Yeah, agreed. Um, like I think it's really well executed. And when I got the sort of like the the climax of the story, I was like, yes, like that's perfect. Like it was really yeah. good. So I definitely really recommend that. How many and spirit wolves is this story? <laughs> I would say that this story is like on my scale. Only one spirit wall. So, like, good. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Your scale, it's like, this is only 15 spirit wolves. <laughs> only. Okay. Only the sliding scale of spirit wolves is... is spirit wolf is, like, it needs a frame of reference. Yeah. Like, you're, you gotta, like, it's like, is this, is this, like, an MK spirit wolf scale? Yeah. Or is this, it's like metric and imperial. Yeah. yeah. Is this, like, is this... Toronto HQ Spirit Wolf, or is this a London HQ Spirit Wolf? And the rule is, in London, Spirit Wolf is a bad thing. You don't (laughs) want that much Spirit Wolf. Too much Spirit Wolf is bad. Like, five Spirit 
Spirit Wolf is like abort, abort mission now. But in North America, like Spirit Wolves. In like, North America, I guess Spirit Wolves are endangered or some shit. So we like love Spirit Wolves. We MK has to preserve them as much as possible. All the Spirit Wolves. So like Chicago Bureau and like Toronto headquarters like love them some fucking Spirit Wolves. I'm gonna That's send Hoyden an email in the near future and it's gonna be like link. Only description, not telling you what fandom it is. Like, nothing. I'm just going to be like, ten spirit wolves. Click now. (laughs) (laughs) You know I would click on it so hard on the internet. Like, that's not why. Yeah, Yeah. and I would, like, avoid it. Like, the fucking plague. (laughs) Okay, alright. So, my last rag, my last rag, is called Work of Progress by uh, Ikaria. And this is uh, unexpected because it is actually a fusion with Assassin's Creed, which MK should find super funny because I watched MK play Assassin's Creed and we laughed the whole time because we were like, this dude is jumping off of towers and they're like, hey, Bill's like super cash. Like, what's you going can't, on? But no one notices him. Nobody notices super cash. He's so stealth. Um, but also pretending to be a monk. I'll always yeah. hide you. Yeah. Super pretending to be a monk. Basically, guys, the story at all. Um, they watched me play it for an hour, and it has gone down in history. <laughs> Continue. Oh, do you want to know the sad part of this? Okay, I don't think I watched you play Assassin's Creed. I watched Zoe Trope play Assassin's Creed. No, actually, it's worse than that. I watched Zoe Trope's roommate play Assassin's Creed. Wow. Who is also yeah, Canadian? You guys all know how disco my is now. Who's yeah. what? He's also Canadian. It's like all the Canadians in your what? life play Assassin's Creed. And want me to watch them play Assassin's Creed. I don't want you to watch. I just needed to play it a little. And you happened to be yeah, there. So anyway, so yes. back to my point. Uh, this this fic is set in, in Renaissance Italy, and Charles is an artist, and Eric is an assassin, which you know fits, because Eric killing things. Pretty great. Uh, especially if they're Nazis. Especially if they're Nazis. There are no Nazis in this fic, but I want you to know, he does kill people who deserve it, so that's pretty good. But... The point is that it is actually extremely lovely in terms of language, and for as short as it is, it's extremely well fleshed out. And I got to the end, and I was like, I just want to read adventures of, like, Charles the Artist trying to take care of Eric the Assassin, mostly against Eric the Assassin's will, like, forever. Like, I just want that. I think the key thing to take away from this recommendation is, despite the fact that this is a story that is an X-Men First Class slash Assassin's Creed fusion... It's really good, and you should read it in spite of its provenance, basically. I see. Yeah. It's Je really beautiful. Je I have to say, though, guys, you don't see this, but part of the reason that this rec section is delighting me so much, you guys don't know this, but we're all, like, pretty big assholes, and we editorialize visually when other people are giving their recommendations, because we all have, like, very differing tastes. <laughs> so, pro- like, for the predominant history of this podcast, it has been MK, like, giving a recommendation... And saying things like, the story doesn't have that much dinosaurs or time travel. And me sitting there, like, clawing at my face in the Skype video window. And this is the first time in the history of this podcast that, like, our, that your Rex have been, like, leading MK to be like, oh, kill me with fire, like, in the video window. This is so good for me. I knew my so- turn would come. <laughs> Your day is here to stay forever. Here's the thing, though, MK, for real. Like, if this wasn't X-Men, and I described those things to you, like, in another fandom... I would like, probably love it. it. Yeah, you would be like, that is 85 Spirit Wolf. I am so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I just, I have zero interest in X-Men. That's okay. No, I mean, it's not okay, it's, but I... It's I sad. I mean, like... It's, it's not even, like, okay. zero interest. It's, like, a negative a million interest in X-Men. Like, I keep checking your page on Pinboard, and I'm like, ah, X-Men. 
I'm sorry. That's going to continue for a, a, a while. When a is while. Sherlock coming to, back? I know. We're about to renew our interest in X-Men Hardcore, too, probably. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna watch Captain America. You left America. us alone in Europe together. You like, left us alone, and we started talking about Nazis. Like, yeah, was, you know, you know we're what? about to get on a train, go to Spain, and you know, all we're gonna do on the train is talk about like You're gonna slutty get... Charles Xavier fixing things with sex. Yeah. You know what? While you guys are in Spain, first I'm gonna edit this and post it on the internet for everyone, and then. Then I'm going to go buy the Captain America DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever. And I'm just going to sit in my apartment and like make I love to Steve Rogers for the rest of the week. Do you want me to send you the beginning of the thing that I'm working on? Yes. I don't know what it is, but yeah, yeah, okay. I do. As long as it's not (laughs) X-Men. No, it's Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, send that to me. Okay. To fuel my love. The 500 words of it can tide you over. Wow. 500 words. I'm my face with pork products in Madrid. I need to, like, find some people to, you know, I'm just going to call Leanne and be like, dim sum? Do you want dim sum this weekend? Let's do dim sum. <laughs> what you're basically saying is, like, I need new friends. I don't like you guys. I don't None like- of you were into the same goth bands I am. Slipknot is so last year. No, I Why don't. Why aren't you guys corn? I don't like that you're so far away. It's, like, minimum. <laughs> I don't like that I'm so far away because, like, can't influence me into like writing girl Lestrade right away. Whoa, I got you into NCIS with a single LJ comment, so it's true. But you had like Mark Harmon and Michael Weatherly on your side, yeah, that was strong. If I See, really attempts to pit me into other shows, yeah, if I really wanted to, I could probably derail your X Men love, but I yeah. accept, I accept that you two are having a good time over there. And then I would just have to wait until I have moved you both into my building in Toronto. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, I actually do have a recommendation, not just talking shit about MK's taste in media. Um, What? So, this week was a really good week for me, guys, because Yahtzee posted a story called Enigma. Now, a lot of you who just broke into hysterical crying, again, just at the mention of that title, have already read this. But in case you haven't, let me make a running jump at trying to pin this out to you guys. This is a story that basically resituates the show at the very end of Charles Xavier's life, where he's died. Eric Lencher is having a moment where he's like, oh, God, Charles has died, and I never even got to say goodbye to him. So he finds, like, a magical mutant, like, hand-wavy, whatever bullshit, who can send you back into time, into the pivot moment of your existence before everything like went whatever way it went wrong and instead of you know it doesn't send him to the beach divorce the way that everyone thinks it sends him to Auschwitz again where his parents are about to be ripped away from him and his mom is about to be shot by Nazis and this time he goes with the full knowledge of his 70 year old self and his full metal badassery and um if you, for no other reason to read this story, reading about 14-year-old Eric Lencher killing, like, all the Nazis in that compound is pretty fucking awesome. And then he becomes world famous by becoming known as the Enigma, this powerful person who goes through, like, all of Europe destroying Nazi encampments and speeding up the end of World War II by, like, six months by killing all the Nazis. Now, I think we can all agree, even if you don't necessarily like X-Men First Class, like, watching Eric Lencher kill Nazis is like pretty awesome like Michael Fassbender clearly enjoyed it too much like he definitely treated this as a giant James Bond audition which if you haven't google searched X-Men like Charles Eric 
James Bond trailer on YouTube, do that like right now. Right like now. stop listening. Right go watch that shit. So there is amazing. an amazing Casino Royale trailer that you need to like rub in your face. Okay, and when you're done, come back. But um, it's a great story. It's actually very, very bittersweet. And I, I don't know. I, it's it's really lovely because the whole premise is that you, in order for this wish to work you end up having to give up the thing that you love the most. And you go through that whole story being afraid that it's going to be Charles. And it turns out that was never the thing that at the point Magneto made this request. That was not what he loved the most. He ends up giving up his anger. And instead, he gets to have a really beautiful life. Like, it, it doesn't go exactly the way he has a planned, but he gets the world's best do-over. I loved it. I read it twice. Um, I most definitely got about halfway through and I was like kind of curled up on the sofa and Hoyden can attest to this where I was like, Yahtzee's going to hurt my feelings. I know she's going to do it. I don't know how, but I'm going to be really upset. But I bet it's going to be beautiful. And it was. So I think that everybody, if you want to have some feelings about X-Men First Class, you should probably read it. Hoyden's uh, facial editorializing there was brilliant. Yeah, it was, it was, it was quite beautiful. Um, did you break else? No, I think we're done. Okay. I'm spent. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, I've given this podcast all that I can be. This podcast started weirdly sexual, and now it's going to end weirdly sexual, which is great. Thanks. Do you want me to do some kiss? No, okay. no. She refused. Let's say no, but ah. your eyes say, please, God, no. One of my cats just punched me in the veg. What the hell's going on? <laughs> everyone okay don't forget to visit our new website yes yes uh please don't forget to visit the new site at slash report.com uh we forced summer tea to work really hard on it so that's almost like us working really hard on it and the other thing for everyone reading the about page in our bios i know a lot of people think that they're just like really cleverly written jokes no it's all accurate yeah it's all accurate we're not all of those things are true completely accurate yeah, you would be able to pick us out of a personality lineup if you just read those about pages. And don't forget that next week we are recording our author talk while we still got Hoyton in my clutches. So email us questions for her. Add us on our Twitter account at Slash Report. If you've ever, like, had a question about one of her stories, wondered how she got into fandom, like, any of this stuff, feel free to ask away. We will filter, so if you send any dirty pictures or any sexual requests, unless they really entertain me, they're not going to get through it. But, Though, uh, we promise that she will see them. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. She'll definitely be exposed and scarred, but we may or may not record it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We do what we can. We're really good to you like that. Yeah. Uh, MK is actually so good to you. I would say it's like 15 spear wolf good to you. <laughs> her scale or your scale? Oh, fucking Toronto HQ scale. Like, that's not very much. I could be better. You could, you could be more spirit wolf? I could be more spirit wolf to Hoyden. Okay. What would that even entail? It probably, it like has to. Like a North American, like, spirit wolf. Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, that's bad. I don't. No, we really should end this now. We have, this has to go. This has to die. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the end, everyone. That is the end, for reals. <laughs> yeah, this can't go on. All right, guys. Okay. Thanks for tuning in this week. It was a blast. Don't let your cats punch you in the vagina. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Tell
None of this is going in, right? No. Thank God. This whole section is going to be cut, but it is going to be preserved on the raw MP3 forever.